I hope you're sitting down for this one. Jamie McBretty talks us through mindset, his passion, his motivation. It's absolutely second to none, and his insight is superb. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Play, Train, Grow, a podcast that asks what is life really like chasing the dream of becoming a professional footballer? In this episode, I am thankful and delighted to be joined by Jamie McGretty, a man who shares a passion for mindset. Jamie has built a platform as the director of Why Mindset. He's the growth and mindset manager at Leisure Sport Dundee. Jamie's also involved with Dundee's Academy and he went to Aberty University like myself, but I think you did slightly better than I did, pal, to be honest. Um, how are you, Jamie? How's life? I'm brilliant. How's yourself? I, just getting through lockdown, as we were talking about, you know, making the most out of it, building this platform, just like you. Yeah, absolutely. Only way to do it. Yeah, so give us your, your background. Where do you work? Who do you work with? Background. How far do you want to go back? Totally up to you, Power. We're here building connections. Right, so um, school... At school, um, obviously, I didn't really um, fulfil my potential with football, let's just say that. Um, took the wrong choices and I decided I want to go and join the RAF. I want to fly planes. Um, went down to the recruitment office and they said, sorry, son, you can't fly planes because you're colourblind. So yeah. it was back up to the and say, okay, I want, I want to be a fireman. No, sorry, son, you can't be a fireman, you're colourblind. I said, okay, right, what do you do? You stay in at school, you take hires. Fifth year, failed my hires. Uh, found out I failed my hires when I was doing it Nebworth, watching Oasis in front of 125,000 people. So that kind of, that was that was all right. But then I went back for right, six years, better have my finger out. Still didn't have a Scooby what I wanted to do. Um, but it was actually a pivotal point in six years when uh, a supply teacher that I'd never met before in my life said to me, um, I was actually injured, um, so it was motivating my classmates to run around the athletics track just a little bit longer. And she said, you know what? You would make a really good sports coach. Now, there wasn't very many teachers that said good things about me when I was at school. And I went, oh, wait a minute here. I know what a coach is, but how do you become a sports coach? So out I went um, to my guidance teacher and I said, right, how, how did I get on this pathway? So Dundee College, there was a, a sports coach and sports development course. I thought that, that's the one for me. So Applied for that. Um, other teachers were saying, you better go to uni. You've, you've got some hires. And I just thought, no, I'll take the safe route. Uh, went to sports coaching. Best decision ever. Great three years at Dundee College. Um, and then I went on to Aberty to do my, my degree. Um, still no any clue what I wanted to do, but just that's... I'd been in, in education for 13 years. It was safe to... No, another three years at college. It was safe to go into uni uh, at Aberty. Then uh, I stayed up from honours year. At the end of that, I was like, what did I do? Now, the good thing was, um, the, one of the biggest bits of advice I got when um, I started college was, give your time up, volunteer, and get as many qualifications as you can. So I volunteered in a whole range of different things with football, disability sports, multi-sports, gymnastics, um, table tennis, you name it. You know, I was getting experience. And that bit of advice stood me up in good stead because come the, the end of my honours year at uni, I was doing a wee bit of coach of a Dundee Football Club and the, the community manager at the time, Kev Lee, said, um, why don't you just come in and me and you together can build um, a community programme? So I did that for about six months, uh, which again was absolutely magnificent. Great growth for myself. Uh, and then halfway through that, I was out for a run one night and bumped into somebody that I volunteered for 
with Dundee City Council and he says, in sports development, um, there's a job coming up. You know, I, I was meant to tell you, but I actually closes tomorrow. Get your application in because you might have a good chance again. So I went for that and went for the interview, got the job. And my first job was to um, use sport as a tool to give 15 to 24-year-olds qualifications, work experience, uh, volunteer placements, and get make them more employable to move on. And two and a half years in that role in that team, uh, and then the opportunity came up to become the manager of that team. Uh, so at 26, I became a manager of one sports development team. Two years later, Meg Alford then went off on maternity leave. I thought, I can do that. So at 28 years of age, uh, I got a year's um, opportunity to manage the Dundee Sports Development section, which at the time was the biggest sports development section across Scotland, uh, managing four four teams, uh, 35 full-time members of staff, 150 coaches and 220 volunteers. Um, and here's this wee laddie that didn't have a scooby what he was doing uh, at school, uh, was now in charge of this massive organisation, um, which, was, which was brilliant. And then fast forward to six or seven years, um, you know, the, the sports development section became part of, of, of the local leisure trust. A number of changes took place and the, the team I managed at the time was almost dispersed across different sections. And I was offered an opportunity um, to lead a brand new project in the city. Um, and our mindset was on the back of Professor Carl Dweck visiting the city the local authority decided, wow, this is, we've got to have a look at this. Um, the data is so robust, the research is so robust. We've got to look at this in terms of giving our children, our families, our communities the best opportunity. Um, and I got the privilege of leading a two-year pilot, um, which started in May 2015. And I'm still on that role as we speak, um, which again, personally for me, has been the biggest and best um, opportunity I've ever had. Um, you know, really stretching me to, to, to work with schools from an education perspective, working with communities, working with business, working in sport. Um, and that has given me the skills now that, you know, I had to start my business up in 2018 just due to requests across the country about speaking at events or conferences uh, or working with businesses, putting workshops on, just doing favours to begin with. But um, since then, you know, I thought, right, there's a wee business in here. I better start something up. And since then, it's just grew arms and legs, just supporting individuals, Businesses across different sectors, um, still working in sport, having the best time ever, and still continue to grow and continue to move on. On oh. top of being a dad, on top of being a husband, on top of being coach at Dundee Football Club's under 15s. Um, and uh, yeah, that's me. Snow Thunder with tons of it. Loving it. You can feel the passion coming out. And I'll just love the, the fact that if you go right back to school, you had no clue what you're doing. No idea what was happening, but today you're sitting probably in the situation the teachers never thought would have come along. Love it. So, um, yeah. what was your? Uh, you, you've spoken about a golden seed moment there about a supply teacher and and sort of really igniting a fire. If if I move that now into kind of your role today, what's your favourite parts of being a mindset specialist and trying to lay a golden seed moment in somebody else? Uh, it's just that. It's, I suppose it's the, it's now it's the, it's not just the feedback. Um, it's the privilege of actually being able to, to help somebody. I realise they've got the potential themselves to make the changes they need to change. Um, and that's the most rewarding part about this. It's watching and listening and seeing people just change your life. You know, that's my purpose in life. My, my passion is helping people to unleash the potential they've got within them. We've all got an infinite amount of potential. 
and just due to environments or due to conditioning, um, which is due to you know our identity of what happened at school or in sport or or, or, or particular career choices. You no, know, we all limit ourselves, and it's not our fault. It's just the, it's just the way it is. Um, but the most rewarding thing is people telling me that I've changed their life, and that's something different for every single person. Um, and that's why I continue to want to be the best version of myself, so I can give people the best service that they can get to to live the life that I deserve. Oh, it's phenomenal to hear. So let's let's break it down. Everyone throws the term out, growth mindset, fixed mind. Go and break it down for us and give us a bit of an explanation on, as you've, as you've said, Carol Dweck's you know, pioneering research. I think it's really helpful before we even talk about growth or fixed mindset. It's the word mindset, never mind growth or fixed mindset. People's understanding of what mindset is. Because mindset is a word that is battered about everywhere. But do people really understand what it is? And it's no... And it's no rocket science. It's simple, but it's tough to change. So for me, mindset is essentially your thoughts. And your thoughts impact your feelings. And your feelings impact on how you behave. And your behaviours impact your results. That is it. Now, there's two ways of looking at your mindset. Your mindset could potentially be influenced by previous results, by your report card by the balance sheet in your business, by results. And sometimes I look at the results and we are then, we make a, a conclusion to say, well, that's me. So you could potentially view it as a fixed mindset by looking at something, you say, right, that's me. That's all I've got. That's all the talent I've got, ability I've got. That's me. I can't change. So we're, we're basically taking the results and saying, I can't change. So a fixed mindset is a belief that it's your ability, your talents is fixed, which means that you think you're just born or others are born with the aptitude, with the gifts, with the skills for whatever that may be. So essentially, when you fail at things, the research shows you that, that you give up. You have more chance of giving up because you think, what's the point? I'm not going to change. So you apply less effort and you basically, you, obviously you don't try new challenges, basically because, one, what's the point? But two, one of the associated characteristics with a fixed mindset is the fear of failure. The fear of, if I don't succeed, what will people think about me? Actually, from our fixed mindset, people who've been top dogs for a long time, who think they're the bee's knees, yeah, they've also got a fixed mindset because maybe they've got to a particular point in career or sport and life with no challenge. So they think being brilliant comes easy. So the first sign of challenge, then they crumble. So the other thing about being a fixed mindset is, actually, what if I do succeed? What will people think about me? Because in society, you know, it's, uh, it's you no know, some people don't like success. So somebody's interpretation of you might shift if you are being successful. So mindset is really looking at, starting with your thoughts, because you get to choose what you think about. Right? Two things in life you get to choose, what you think or how you think and your attitude. And for me, your attitude is also a composite of your thoughts, your feelings and your behaviours. Now, in terms of attitude, you usually see somebody's behaviours. That's what people say, oh, look at his attitude. That's a great attitude. That's a poor attitude because how they behave. But what they don't see is what they're thinking or how they're feeling. So when you apply it to a growth mindset, a growth mindset is simply a belief that you can improve, that you can develop, that you believe your abilities, your talents, your intelligence are malleable qualities that have the potential to improve. Now, what we're not saying here is that everybody's going to be the best of the best of the best, but it's simply an, an ideology that you have the potential to create a new personal best regularly. That is it. 
So you then become task persistent, more persistent and consistent. And you see fail, but failure, you see setbacks, you see challenges, opportunities to grow. And you've got the courage to try different ways of achieving that success. So that'll clear your first time you don't succeed. You try, you try, you try again, but you've got the bottle to move from one thing you've done for a long time to something else. And only analogy I use as well, do you want to be that blue bottle where you're smashing against that window and the blue bottle thinks, actually, I just need to fly harder and I'll smash through the glass and kills itself. When I say two feet to the left of you, you could have just flew through the window with minimal effort and maximum impact. But that takes courage to pivot and do something differently. And that takes a growth mindset. Absolutely. Such a great, I love the, you used at the start there the word simple. And I think people forget that that's actually probably the most important part of almost everything we do is to keep it simple. You know, the fact that you've got to keep trying different ways, it doesn't have to be complicated. Keep it simple. And that fly is such a great reference that I'm going to steal straight away and use it because I don't think I've heard that. So that's going straight into the back pocket. Um, as you've, you've worked our way through the growth and the, the fixed mindset, you, you were talking about emotions and how people perceive they're being seen. How does social media and the way that we're moving in that world where the most important part of a f- your phone is your camera, how do you think that's affecting youngsters and youths and how they look at life at the moment? Um, it depends on the individual. Love it, yeah, absolutely. Because there's so many, there could be arguments about, oh, it's taking away social skills and the way it used to be, people didn't speak to one another or another. And you think, you know what, the, the, the amount of um, technology that's out there to give skills of how you reach people, how you utilise that, there's pros and cons dependent on how you use these things. Um, but for me, the point I think you're trying to get to is about self-image. You know, what is it that social media does around self-image? And whether it's social media or whether it's you go to work or you go to the gym or you go and play for your football team, you've got two self-images. Now, you've got two images. The image you portray to the outside world and the image you've got on the inside. Now, we live from the inside out, so what you, the results you've got in your life are essentially a true reflection of what happens on the inside. So the circumstances, the conditions, and the environments that you, that you create is from what you believe about it. So that, that self-image, that self-worth, that's, that, that's what's in there. And a lot of people use um, social media, et cetera, to maybe put a, a mask on, that, to make things look rosier than what they actually are. Um, in one sense, you know, it, it might provide somebody with a little bit of, I don't know, purpose. It might, you know, they might be able to engage and connect. Um, on the other hand, you know, um, there might be a bit of pressure that comes from having to live up to particular standards or there's an ideology that, that out there, there's a certain way you've got to be a certain look. So, again, that, de- that depends on um, how how people perceive what they see. Um, so there's there's so many different ways of looking at that, if that makes sense. No, it does, it does. And that's the thing that I'll talk to the lads I work with, that they just, you know, make it about you, and making a list of people that you trust. And if they give you sort of feedback or anything or make a comment, then trust in that. But the rest of it, you know, don't let it fuel the fire. Um, what I want to do now is throw some terms at you and just get your thoughts on them and, and what your reaction is to it. So, so we've explained what the, the growth and the fixed mindsets are. How does that impact on creating a, a culture within a team? And then how does an individual fit within that culture, whether they've got the growth or the fixed mindset? For me... 
culture is mindset. So you walk into any any organization, you work in walk into any restaurant, you work in anywhere it's got people, then essentially um essentially it's, it's the it's the people who are the culture. You take people out of any organization, you don't have a culture. And what you bring with people is mindset. So depending on what the dominating mindset is, is the culture. So the easiest way to think that, you know, what is the, the organisation, what's the culture around mindset and failure? What is the relationship to failure? How does a team respond to failure? <clears throat> do they pull together or do they point fingers and blame? You know, so that culture um, is conducive. Now, you may have a very strong culture in a team, that that is very strong and embedded, and you've got somebody who's maybe a little bit different of thinking coming into that culture. Now, well, two things will happen: one, they'll deflect the thing, "This is not for me," and they'll go away again, or they'll come in, try to change things that doesn't work, um, and actually just are, are, are absorbed into that culture. Or you know, they might want to go in there and be cultural architects of themselves and think, "You know, I want to change this." But depending on what that resistance is, that when you're talking about changing culture, you're talking about changing people, and people don't like change. Um, and it's people's response to change and it's not that people don't like change it's maybe that they don't understand it um, and it's difficult we, you, you, we've all been through change and we're, we're creatures of comfort we're like easy and we're like just our normalities but we need to change things then, then it's hard, it's difficult um, it's, it means we've got to look inside ourselves which if you're not strong enough you, you're, you're, what I find in teams is Depending on the culture, is it's no um, normal to show your vulnerabilities. You know, you've got to put a face on, you've got to put a mask on. Um, so, depending on the leadership, depending on, and that's not just without, you know, in terms of manager, but in terms of in the team, then it all depends on the culture. So, yeah, for me, culture is mindset because it's about that group thinking. It's about that the feeling in the group. It's how that group behaves, and essentially. It's the results that the group get as well. I like it. We're, we're, you've said it. We, we're built in a hierarchy. Our culture, our, us as beings down to the basic level, it's all about hierarchy. And the person at the top quite often dictates it. And you, you've mentioned their vulnerability. So I want to just slip in emotional intelligence into that too, just in the same frame and how you, how you explain emotional intelligence and then maybe how you would um, direct people towards understanding it. So how do I um, so how, emotional intelligence? So in terms of creating culture and relating it to kind of emotional intelligence, because you've said vulnerability there, and it's really difficult for people to be vulnerable in, in a group setting at times. So how do you advise people on the, the sort of being emotionally intelligent? Um, you can't, I don't think you can advise somebody to be emotionally intelligent because what you're talking about there is, is a level of self-awareness. And if somebody is not self-aware, uh, you know, that's, just, that's, that's a trait that's, that's been, that's been you know, deeply rooted for a long time. But what you can start to do is maybe just start asking certain questions around how do you feel that, how would other people describe you? you know, how would people, um, if they can say three words about, you know, how would people, um, you know, I don't know, describe you in terms of your traits, in terms of being a friend, in terms of being a coach, being a manager. And sometimes it's really difficult to, to kind of think like that. So the easiest way to do that is to, to, is to break it down to think, 
yeah, what, what do other people think about me? No. Would I employ me? Would I sign me? Um, and what I find with some people that you know are, find that difficult to to look at themselves and be self-aware, um, often with links to low levels of self-regulation, uh, self-leadership, um, self-motivation. But the way I look at things um, is this. This goes for everybody. I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. I am who I think that you think I am. Well, yeah, and, like that's that. how, and that's how we live our life because ever since we've been young, let's be honest, the goals we've been looking to achieve has been for our teacher, for our parents, and sport was for our coach. Very seldom are the goals we set for us. So a lot of the condition has been, right, I'm going to achieve a goal, but the goal is usually somebody else's goal. So we're always looking for that affirmation. We're always looking for that for that feedback. We're always looking for that connectivity. You know, so that's how we find it difficult moving, growing up, we set our own goals, focusing on ourselves, that self-care, that self-love, that self-respect, because we've been conditioned to think about others, which is perfectly okay. But that's how we find it really difficult to do ourselves. When we talk about emotional intelligence, um, that's either something that you've been used to in terms of that empathy you've had when you've been growing up, um, being that aware of how you impact on other people, um, or whether it's something that hasn't been part or parcel of that. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And just looking, you know, the great thing about all this is that we're all circling around that same thing, and the it's the I like the fact you just said, you know, that sometimes we're trying to appease other people. And I like that you're you're bringing it back round to the self and looking at yourself. So we're talking about kind of um, mindset. And if I throw the word comfort zone at you and, and then making mistakes, what comes to mind yeah. when I throw that at you? Comfort zone for me, people love safety, love control, love predictability. But just outside the comfort zone is fear zone or perceived fear. For me, fear is an acronym for false events appearing real. So we create a picture in our head and we believe that's going to happen. So it's a lie. It's not happened yet. But we, from a negative perspective, we think, oh, what if this happens? And this happens, what do they think when they think about me? And I'll say, I won't look competent. I'll say, I'm going to find as many excuses as I can to get me out of that situation because I am completely controlled by the opinions of other people. This is where the fear comes from. But... Actually, the, the emotion of fear and excitement are exactly the same emotion. It's just that we interpret it differently. So if we've got a different picture in our head, I, a positive picture, then that's another false event that appears real. But we look at it from a positive perspective, then we add belief and faith and expression and creativity to that, which means we can get used to being in that zone. Yeah, that might feel scary, but when you come against a terror barrier, if you've smashed through that terror barrier once, you can do it again and again and again. Uh, and the fear might not stop once you've been through that, but what starts to happen is you condition yourself to start to stretch yourself on a regular basis. And a growth mindset is giving yourself that proof and belief that you turn a theory into a fact. And the fact that you can do something, you can apply the same principles to any walk of life. And I've done it before. And I speak, when I speak to people, they're talking about maybe getting to a certain level of income or a certain level in sport or a certain level in business. You know, it's the same principles when you're looking for that, that house you want to buy, you go through the same thing. 
you see a house, you think, what well, can I afford? Can I afford it? I'll go for it anyway, get a deposit on it, and, and you make it happen because you've put that much desire and uh, that definiteness or purpose that you get it. But if we, if we could apply those same principles to other walks of our life, what could happen? Yeah, and sometimes it's, it's, it's getting help to kind of look from the outside and when we're doing that to say, you've got the strength already. You've done it before, you can do it again. So, yeah, that's what I think about that in the kind of growth mindset. You've done it before, you can do it again. Oh, I love it. And what the subconscious doesn't know today versus the future. It, it just no. it only knows the word okay. So, if you, like you've said, if you just keep going along that Alice in Wonderland down the rabbit hole, tumbling, tumbling, then, then it's not going to end up where you want it to be. But have that positive look on it, have the growth on it. And as you said, just smash through it and know that eventually you're going to get there. I was, I was doing a chat with a young goalkeeper um, just a couple of days ago, and he said that, you know, the little goalie's in a massive goal and a massive pitch. He can't kick it far. He can't dive far. But he just knew that in the long run, the practice and training and his application in games would lead him to that point where he would eventually make it. And then when he did make it, he would take his chance. And it's such a yeah, great absolutely. example. And add, you've added into that emotions and fear. So you've done a great way of kind of restructuring that fear into the positive growth way. Um, when, when you're in this sort of fear mode or change mode, is there anything you do to, to try and relax or advise people for sort of relaxing through that sort of nervy or difficult moment where maybe the heart rate's going or the thoughts are, are going the wrong way? I think, um, and it depends what situation you mean. But if you look at it from a from a from a sporting perspective, when you're about to go to games or competition, then it's been very clear on your goal. So, and a bit of work I've been doing with with, with players, young players, actually young players from under 11 through to under 18s, and their parents, is that you know after a game, uh, a child will speak to the parent, and what's the first question the parents ask? I'm going to get what's the score. score. Yeah. What's the score? Um, and depending on the result, then will determine on how the conversation goes. But in terms of development, in terms of developing young players, you know, whether the win or lose is, is, is irrelevant to the development of that individual. So, depending on what they believe is going to be the consequences of making mistakes in a game, i.e., oh my God, that card on the home. What is my mum, dad, whoever going to be, what they're going to be saying is, and that one mistake in a game could put them off and massively impact on the performance for the rest of the game. Um, it may be that they're affected by supporters, by the opposition, by coaches, by their players, by their teammates, because they're fearful of expressing themselves that much that they, they, they don't carry out or execute a skill properly. So why am I saying all this? Because if you break it down to say, what's your goal for this next game? You're breaking it down. My focus for this game, you know what? I'm playing right back, and you know what? My focus for this game, I'm going to just, get, I'm going to overlap five times a half. I'm going to play my game. I'm going to focus on five, five, five overlaps a game because when I got up there, I know um, I'm in a position I can affect the game. I'm impacting the game, um, and whatever else it may be from, and. That point of focus might be if something's happening where it gets a bit tense, then I can refocus about, right, what am I doing today? Right, I'm going to focus back on this particular thing here. 
Um, or they might have a strategy. Actually, I've made a few mistakes. You know what? Next time I get the ball, the strategy is it's five-yard passes. All right? doesn't matter what direction it's going to just retain possession, five-yard passes. That is it. So something to control. It might be that um, emotionally they get involved in the game a lot. They might see, you know, every time they get clattered, they, they want to go up and square go or do something. So it might be, right, okay, count to 10 or the Wayne Rooney, go down, pull up your socks, whatever. Just little strategies. So it all depends on the individual. But that all comes from having a, a relationship, a coach-to-player relationship, a coach-to-parent relationship, a parent-to-player relationship. That triangle of, of, of trust where they feel comfortable sharing how they're vulnerable, sharing how they feel when they feel like that. Because one of the key things I'm noticing, when players are getting to under-16s level and they have the ability to go on, some are opting out. Some are opting out not to take that contract to move into under-18s. And it's got nothing to do with their ability. It's to do with how they cope with the perceived pressure of no being guaranteed to start every week, of the older age group, maybe getting it in front of them. Actually, it could be the younger age group getting it in front of them. So really getting them to, to, to understand that the pressure is coming from them. They create the pressure themselves. Um, maybe pressure from maybe the coach use a particular set of language or the parents, maybe other things, but it depends how they are perceiving pressure. Because sometimes when you write it down, you're saying, wait a minute, what am I making a big deal about here? But and a young person said, it's a big deal. Absolutely. I, I love that. I really like that idea of, of having like a list or a focus. And I've spoke to, to players, some have got maybe three things or five things that's written down that they go to. So if the back's against the wall, they go back to their super strengths and that's what they work on. And it's a, yeah. a really great focus. And I think you're, I love the idea that it, it shifts depending on what you're focusing on. And it's you know it's confidence effectively. Whatever you're focusing on, that's what your confidence level is. So if your focus is making yeah. a mistake, your confidence is going to drop. But if your focus is what would you do next time, then it's going to switch it and move it again back to that growth side. So we've talked now about you know that triangle. So can I ask what you do um, when you're working in that triangle? So when you sit down with parents, what do you talk to them about? Um. As the biggest thing, you've got to be honest with parents. Another thing before that, you've got to be understanding that not just parents, but coaches, players, people don't know what they don't know. So looking at somebody maybe saying something wrong or maybe whatever the behaviours might be, it might just be that somebody has been honest and say, by the way, that's maybe no conducive to the, the results we're trying to get. So what we are doing at Dundee in particular, you know, we're doing quite a comprehensive parental education program around how important mindset is, your role as a parent and how crucial that is, understanding the talent process, understanding the impact of such as growth and maturation or diet and nutrition um, or goal setting. But it's not just a case of here's the parents' information or the parents, but including everybody together because it's the family unit are going through this process. And very shortly, moving from just being football to actually this is career development, this is employability. And it comes to a point where we need to help parents self-regulate themselves because let's be honest, a parent, the young person as a parent is an extended representation of the parent. So the young player's playing a blinder, then the parent's swagging about their chest puffed out going, ho, ho, speaking of the parents, right? If the wee laddie is having an absolute nightmare of a game or a few games, then they're hiding or 
they're shouting at the bar, they're, they're taking out in the coach, and to be honest, as we said on it's a mentor for them. They kind of regulate how they feel because their laddie isn't a performing. How dare they put them in that position and make them feel like that? So it's trying to create a safe environment to allow parents to express their feelings with a view of, here's some strategies to help you cope with that. No, we're trying to get the players to a point where we prepare them for the news they don't want to hear. That's what's going to happen. So whether that's something similar as by you, you're not starting today, or you're playing in a different position, or you're coming off after half an hour, or you're going back in age group because you may for your development, or it may be um, actually you're not getting that contract, or it might be that whatever it may be, they need to be prepared for what that is. And you know, in terms of working with parents, you know, nothing should ever come to a surprise to a player or a parent. You know, in terms of giving not just feedback, but having an understanding about the development of a young person, then you should know where they are on the developmental process. So nothing should come as a shock because it's about at a point in time knowing they're struggling, then let's have a chat about that. Is there something at home? Is there something as a coach who need to be better? Whatever it may be, but there's a, there's, a, there's a process to go through to that final decision in terms of that. So that, that includes, you know when the process is working when the parents sometimes make the decisions for the players because they've got an understanding actually know where this is. Um, it may be that we get to a point that the players feel that actually it's probably better for me that a big decision needs to be made. The point I'm making here, the relationships are key in all of this. And the only way we can do that is by proper communication, is by facing the difficult conversations when it can happen. Um, and that goes beyond mindset. That's just about respect. Respect for everybody who's involved in the development of that young person, namely the, the player himself. Yeah, I like that. Is there, we, we talk about that um, jumping in the car question. Do you have a little, like maybe a wee checklist of questions you maybe advise, or is it just you sort of discuss what could happen when the kid jumps in and how they feel when they jump in that car? We ask the players the questions in front of all the parents. What do you most worry about? And there's always a wheel idea there who's been able to say, oh, the conversation in the car went home. Listen, that's more powerful than a coach saying, by the way, be careful of the conversation go up the road. And you see some parents just sliding back in their seats going, oh, my God. But that's sometimes the light bulb moment they need to get. You know, that emotional impact. That they have. And sometimes I go back to they don't know what they don't know. So they've got to have this resonate with them so the next time they're there, they're conscientious of exactly what they're going to be doing. Yeah, I've got a couple more things on, on working with parents lined up. I've, I've got the, the working with parents in sport. I've got Gordon coming on um, at the end of the month and I've got the non-perfect dad. If anyone else is looking for anything else, just fire non-perfect dad into Google and Twitter because his stuff's phenomenal. And I was listening to him the other day and he says they, they do a workshop with both and ask what's the worst thing you've maybe said to your kid. And the idea is that you just don't know what you don't know. So let's go and explore mm-hmm. it. And players would say something like, oh, he compares me to my pal and he plays in the same position as me. But that really hurts because they're emphasizing yeah. the other person's strengths over mine. And it's certainly an area we need to, to develop. Uh, and you're certainly going the right way. In terms of working with, with coaches, is it the same sort of process? Do you just sit down, talk and get everyone on the, the same page? Uh, yeah, so that's been... Um 
no, but coaches get autonomy to, to be their own coaches, you know, in terms of what they want to do. And there's no way that it's it's given information. No, it's like like in any sector when you're involved in development of children, you, you take what you want to do and, and implement it. So um, it's just given as much information as we can so people can go try this. Uh, this is no script. There's no sort of, um, you know, the beautiful thing about coaching is that it's, it's, it's what you do with it. Um, it's you do it yourself and you take on certain methodologies or certain ways and you come from backgrounds that can help. So, but, but keep it as varied as we can. You know, having Gordon sucking at the helm as well, you know, him coming across and putting his, uh, you know, print on what, how he wants to develop young players and that. It's just, it's just such a rich environment where coaches can share what works for them and everybody's just listening to one another. So together, um, you know, we're all growing. So, so yeah, look, but keep it open. Um, we keep it where everybody's voice is heard, um, and we have good discussions and debate. It's healthy um, as coaches. We're all learning with one another. That's the key part, isn't it? You need the debate. It needs to be healthy and detaching personality from it. You know, let's let's not make it a critique of the person. It's just an observation, and how can we blend that into our practice? Yeah. So when you're when you're also working with the players. How do you how do you approach the whole growth versus fixed approach? Do you go in with some information, maybe some infographs, or do you look to maybe take a a picture from the pitch of the kid throwing his arms in the air to a mistake? How how do you approach the subject with the player? It, it depends. It depends. You know, we've got. Um... It's a mix. It is a mix, you know, within, as I said, because we've all got different learning styles. Um, we remember things, but as long as we can be persistent with standards, we're persistent with uh, with how we react to certain things, um, but we're consistent with the message we give to parents, to the coaches, to the players. Um, it's more about being consistency rather than the method, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. It's the sort of the delayed gratification that it takes time. So let's be consistent yes. and let's. Let's stay on point and just keep reinforcing it. Yeah. What I want to talk about, just again, is you've talked about communicating with the players, the parents, and keeping that triangle important. When you when you see, and it's a really strange option because I've come across like a parent with a great growth mindset and gets it, and the kid that just it just doesn't get it. So I, I don't know if you've come across that scenario before, but um, how would you approach it? Because I'm always blown away when you come across the parent who is on the same wavelength as you, they're saying the same as you, but the kid just can't take the information in? Well, I think we've got to understand the kid first and foremost um, and take the focus off the parent and the coach um, because when we were that age, how would we view things? And I think I find myself working and speaking to coaches and parents where a lot of the focus is... Like, what's happening here? I'm doing all I can. I'm saying all the right things and me, 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 me. And I said, okay, that's, that's, that's good. Okay, you're good at reflecting. I says, but what about the young person? Are they understanding what you're saying? Actually, what have they been through up to this point that their attitude or their beliefs are the way they are? So if you've only just shifted your language in the past six months and they're 12 years of age, well, you've, you know what, you've got another 11 and a half years of the conditions and the environments that they've been used to. So actually, by the time they're seven years of age, they've been programmed. They've been programmed to 
deal with failure. They've been programmed to be self-disciplined in terms of having that drive themselves. That the, the program's been set. So, like you and us, you know, I, to change the program, there's a process to that. That's not just do as I say. Um, it's we've got to think about how do we help pull them through that, show them the way, and actually more important, get them to to, to learn themselves and go through that. Does that make sense? Absolutely, no, I absolutely love it. It's it's great advice. And then to wrap us up, um, what are you most excited about going forward in in your sort of life and, and using your your knowledge at the moment to help other people? What's on the horizon? For me, um, I think it's, it's time for me to go global, essentially. Um, the programmes I've got now, um, through Mindset, working in partnership with the, the Proctor Gallagher Institute, which I get the privilege of working with, um, a great gentleman called Bob Proctor, who will be 87 on his birthday. Um, he's been in the field of personal development for the past 60 years um, and been on calls with him every single week. I'm, I'm, a, I'm now able to offer a range of programmes to individuals, organisations um, across the world. Um, and I'm excited to, to go stretch myself, uh, take risks, to, to go and find out what happens. Um, you know, is it going to work? Who knows? Do I have a belief in myself? Yes, I do. How did that happen? Because I've, I've failed a lot of times beforehand. I've still got a lot of work to do. Um, I'm, still, you know, I'm, I'm still working on myself to be the best I can be. But I'm excited because I'm, I've got this one gift of life that I'm going to do it properly. And, uh, and, and be relentless and, and, and never got up. So I'm excited to what the next year or so brings. Um, and why is it exciting? Because I don't care what's coming next. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's the best thing, in it? So we can get you on whymindset.co.uk. Any other ways of reaching out to you? Yeah, I've got a Facebook page as well. So Why Mindset, Jamie McBrady. Um, there's a little private group called Your Best Self as well, where I go live um, every so often. Um, and yeah, you'll find information about different programmes we've got there. I'm on LinkedIn as well. And if anyone wants to reach out, then then get in touch. Love it, Jimmy. Thank you so much. Your your knowledge is absolutely superb, and I've absolutely loved listening to you. Great. Thanks very much, buddy. That's us for another episode. I didn't stop taking notes through that. I don't know about yourselves. What a fantastic insight and vision that Jamie has just laid out for us. Without doubt, anyone can take information from that. I'd like to thank you for listening. You can contact me on at PlayTrainGrow on Twitter, PlayTrainGrow at gmail.com. Any feedback would be great. Thank you and goodbye.